This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good morning, um, wherever you are. We have representatives from Italy and Germany. So I imagine it's later there. Anyway, thank you all of you for joining together for Dharma practice. Before I forget, I, I wanted to um, I kind of uh, make a correction, not exactly, but last time I think I mentioned uh, a story with uh, ancestor uh, Yashan, uh, who didn't let his monastics read sutras. And then uh, one day, though, his, his attendant passed by his room and noticed that he was in there reading a sutra. Remember? And the attendant said, uh, wait a minute, you know, let us read sutras. Why, why are you reading a sutra? And uh, the, of course, very, very terse Chinese says something like, I'm shielding my eyes. And I think, uh, let's see, yeah, we have gallery views, so I don't have to look at my overwhelming face on the screen. Um, uh, I think at the time, I understood that to mean I don't remember what I said. Did I say uh, it's okay that I'm reading the sutra because I'm shielding my eyes? Is that what I said? Do you remember? Something like that. But since then, I've also been thinking uh, he means I am reading this sutra in order to shield my eyes from anything else. My body-mind is in the uh, in the uh, country of the sutra completely. So nothing else enters my sphere. So I think those are both reasonable understandings of what uh, Yashan had in mind and why he was uh, reading a sutra when he told his monastics they shouldn't do that. So when you are reading sutras, which you may do, of course, if you wish, you, you might consider whether you are shielding your eyes. And if so, what does that mean? 
And does it make a difference which sutra you're reading? Suppose you're reading the uh, the uh, Shurangama Sutra, the heroic march scripture, which uh, about which there is some argument, and um, a number of modern Buddhist scholars think that that is a Chinese creation and there's no counterpart in India. And that point of view makes some ordinarily placid Buddhists rather angry because <laughs> they, they insist, no, no, there's an Indian original somewhere or an Indian antecedent. Oddly, uh, 800 years ago, Dogen and his teacher Rujing had similar doubts about that sutra, which is kind of surprising. All that long time ago, they were also thinking, this is not from India, this one. Uh, and and uh, don't be confused with the Shurangama Samadhi Sutra, uh, which does have Indian roots. Okay, keep those two separate. Any, any questions about that? About the Sutra or about the shielding of eyes. Broadcasting on several fronts, evidently, this morning. So we are saturating the airwaves with my Dharma talk, for which we apologize. But I, uh, I find it safer just to leave that stuff to others. So we'll see what happens. But I think if some of you are Instagrammers, you can see us there too somehow. Uh, I, th I think it was maybe uh, not this morning, but yesterday morning. Um, uh, I was uh, ha having one of my like 3 a.m. encounters with existential dread. And I was uh, thinking about the Bodhisattva vows. I, I don't have much uh, decoration in, in the walls of my room, the abbot's room, but there is a, two, two banners um, 
very nice Chinese calligraphy that uh, a young woman, a Korean woman and, and student of, of Dharma, uh, wrote out the Bodhisattva vows for me and, and sent them to me. And uh, for, for a while, I think she was considering that maybe uh, I would be her teacher. But um, I'm not quite sure what she had in mind, but I think I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't fit the, the pattern that she was familiar with uh, in Korea. So, so she finally gave up, but not before she wrote these, this beautiful calligraphy. And uh, it was fairly dark in my room, but I'm, I'm quite familiar with the, this calligraphy it having been there for quite a few years now. So I was reflecting on the Bodhisattva vow, and I, I felt, you know, I ventured into dangerous and unhelpful territory as I started to think, have I uh, been responsible for even a single sentient being exiting samsara and I, I could not in confidence answer that yes I have so I say that this is dangerous territory because it's not a numbers game, as I'm sure you all understand. And I, it would have been good to uh, just avoid that temptation, you know, to go down that road. And finally, I decided, well, you know, you really can't tell. It's, it's possible that uh, one day you, you said good morning to someone and something about that exchange, you know, good morning to each other, uh, became a seed and the seed sprouted into great awakening maybe long after. That's not something to take credit for exactly, but it is something to rejoice in. So it's, at least it's easy for me at three o'clock in the morning to have gloomy reflections like, man, if I'm gonna save all beings, I better get going here.
then I was thinking of, um, of uh, Dogen's Dogen's heir, of his his Dharma descendants, Gion Zenji, who uh, he um, he uh, took a bunch of uh, Dogen's uh, essays from Shogunzo and. Like wrote a little verse for each, and uh, this is a, uh, a well-known um, uh, well-known work that I think is maybe fairly soon going to appear in English translation, uh, thanks to uh, Steve Hine, who's one of the preeminent. Dogen scholars nowadays. Anyway, uh, so there's Gion commenting on Dogen, and then there's this other fellow, uh, Honko, who was commenting on Gion. And um, the the section or the Gion's comments on Dogen's fairly challenging essay, Shōakumakusa, which some of you have read, I think. Refrain from all evil. That's a toughie, and quite beautiful, but quite challenging. Um, anyway, uh, so Gion wrote a little poem, and then Honko had a reaction to Gion's poem. And uh, Just, uh, I think, was it three or four characters? He said, um, I think it's four characters, but anyway, it comes out. Uh, this one character is the same character in the title of the Xin uh, Xin Ning, which some of you are familiar with. The, uh, the treatise on trust or faith or belief in usually it's translated mind. But in so Hanko used that character. And so he wrote trust or faith or belief. And then the character for heart. And then two characters that say not to. So faith, trust, belief, and heart are not two. And I, uh, I reflected on that for a little while, and then I fell back to sleep. So the uh, abyss of 3 a.m. can be bridged by all kinds of things. Maybe some of you know that abyss, the 3 a.m. abyss. It, it, 
funny species. You can also translate it if you want, like uh, trust and mind are not two. But I like heart myself. Since that distinction in uh, East Asia is uh, it's a little vague and depends on context. And when you're uh, reading uh, Dogen, which I'm sure you do sometimes, then too you might consider, am I shielding my eyes? Am I uh, using Dogen's Dharma wisdom to shield my eyes from the attacks of Mara? Or am I shielding my eyes from the blinding glare of Dogen's Dharma? Pretty, it's pretty bright, you know. So I also reminded myself that uh, one of uh, Dogen's uh, essays um, which doesn't appear in all of the collections, you know, there's several different collections of his essays um, in the Treasury of the True Dharma I collection, several versions of that. But anyway, one of them is the Bodhisattva's four ways of guiding beings. You know that one? And uh, Dogen uh, takes uh, his inspiration from, I think, some uh, old, old Indian texts. Do you, do you know the four, four methods of guidance, so-called? They, they were another helpful 3 a.m. reflection. Since I, I thought, well, you know, I have to remember it's not a numbers game. And anyway, here are four approaches to uh, the salvation of all beings, which Bodhisattvas use. One is uh, dana or generosity. And to be uh, generous in our help and assistance and care for the many beings. Generosity, of course, can take 
many, many different forms. So this is the principle behind all those different forms. It's the open hand. And uh, the next one is, uh, so yeah, these all have Sanskrit names. The next one is uh, is Priyavajya or Priyavajata. Priya means uh, like uh, sweet or gentle or pleasant, and Vajya means to be said. So usually it's translated as uh, gentle speech. So this means that the Bodhisattva generally avoids uh, addressing beings in a way that is uh, harsh or frightening or, you know, abusive. Bearing in mind that uh, there might be some circumstance where there could be the appearance that a bodhisattva is not using gentle speech for the sake of those particular circumstances. But generally, the bodhisattva addresses beings uh, in a way that acknowledges our, our, our tenderness as sentient beings. So avoiding harshness, certainly avoiding insult and so forth, to speak gently, to present the Dharma gently. Uh, and then there is, uh, Artha Charya. Artha has numbers of meanings, but in this context, it usually means something like uh, purpose or goal or something like that. And Charya means activity. So, um, these are the activities that the Bodhisattva engages in in order to help beings. So this is actual, this is activity. So the, the, the labors of the Bodhisattva are not merely theoretical. But the Bodhisattva will undertake to do what is helpful. And sometimes that might be like joining in activities that, that the beings, sentient beings, are already engaged in. And other times, maybe bringing something else to the mix. It's a little different for the Buddhas. You know, the Buddhas, as any, any good uh, Vajrayanist will tell you, the Buddhas are constantly engaged in the, 
the process of maturing beings by virtue of what is sometimes called emanations. So wherever the Buddhas, Buddhas are, I don't know where they are, but wherever they are, emanations are constantly coming forth to mature beings, which is really great. And I don't know, maybe the Bodhisattvas can do some of that, but they also have to get in there and get into the mud and the weeds with sentient beings and do stuff. And then uh, there's, there's one more, which is a little, this one's a little funny. Uh, it's um, it's uh, Saman Artata. So Samana, which means same. And Arta is the same as the previous one, a goal or project or undertaking or activity. And then Ta just means ness. So the con condition or situation of same goal same activity and this often has a funny translation of uh, identity action which i always found a little odd it's like what does that mean identity action but anyway i i don't know uh i i'm just you know force feeding you here my own ideas about stuff and and by the way don't despair we do have more guest speakers coming. It's just that there's been a kind of a gap for now. Um, uh, but it is very important for the Bodhisattva not to uh, make of him or her or themselves a kind of, you know, superior category. That is, the Bodhisattva their understanding of their own activity and responsibility is something like, you know, I'm going to kind of bend down into the mess here and help these suffering slobs who are down here. It's like, no, no, don't do that. No. You or we or they are on the same level. Bodhisattva activity is always heart to heart, not from on high down. So then the activity of the Bodhisattva to save all beings is not, you know, uh, somehow outside of them and working on them. Instead, it's shoulder to shoulder and heart to heart. Which is why the Bodhisattva can crop up anywhere, under any circumstances. And there are you know, lots of funny stories about Bodhisattvas in brothels and Bodhisattvas in butcher shops and so on and so forth. Not only in Zen, but of course in the uh, Mahasiddha tradition of India, the uh, tantric, the tantrika masters and, and mistresses who uh, uh, show up in very strange guises sometimes. I don't, I don't really remember any of the stories, although there are many of them. There are, what is it, 84 Mahasiddhas. They all have cute stories about 
weird shit that they did to help beings. One guy lived under a under a under a cart for some reason. I can't remember why, but stuff like that. If the beings need us to live under a cart, we'll live under a cart, by God. So this is samanartata. Shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart. And in so doing, you know, we create the Dharma world in which beings can mature and enter awakening. Black helicopters. Excuse us just a minute here. Oh, I guess they're not landing here this time. So in, you know, in bringing to life these four principles of bodhisattva activity, we are uh, you know, creating a Dharma world in which the three jewels have their amazing, ungraspable activity. And, and thinking about this, I, I, uh, I ran across a quote from a, um, uh, a 20th century Greek Orthodox saint. Uh, one kind of a kind of a cool thing about Christianity. You know, has its full vitality as they can crank out saints from time to time. So this fellow, this was a guy who was known as Father Porfirios. He was Greek Orthodox, and um, uh, there are a number of miracles associated with him. Stuff like, uh, oh, I, you know, I went to visit Mount Athos and. I was having a lot of trouble in my life, and I was just wandering the hills there, and I, I ran into this old monk, and he was very cheerful and friendly, and, and uh, you know, he gave me the most fantastic advice, and it was just what I needed. You know? And he, he was, I think he was telling this to some folks on the, the ship going back from Mount Athos, and, and somebody said, was it this guy? He held up a picture. He's like, yeah, who's that? Well, that's Father Porfirios. He's, he's been dead 50 years. It's like, ah, miracle. One of the things that uh, Father Porfirios said was something like, uh, we, must, we must take refuge in the uncreated church in order to be saved. Is that for an enigmatic little remark? If uh, you're familiar with uh, Orthodox, you know, Greek and Russian Orthodox Christianity, uh, uh, it's hard to understand what is the uncreated church because, man, are they into the stuff, you know, clothes and the decorations and the 
ceremonies. And it's quite beautiful, really, but uncreated church. So I think he was saying, you know, uh, our work uh, does not involve our getting caught up in that all that stuff. The uncreated church is the one we bring forth moment after moment, day after day. And in, um, in Greek Orthodox theology, there's even some, as you may know, there is some hints of rebirth in there, which is kind of cool. <laughs> but we need to take refuge in the church that is not created yet, and is now being created, and is now being created. That is the place of salvation. And that is where the Bodhisattva's four methods of guidance really come to life. The un uncreated temple, if you like, the one that we have to bring to life over and over again which I would suggest is what we're doing now. So I, I thank you all for joining in this uh, mysterious effort. My uh, my nearly 70-year-old hip joints are complaining, so maybe now I will ask for questions or comments. Anybody have any 3 a.m. thoughts they want to share? I don't know, 2 a.m. thoughts? It's somewhere, right? Oh, Ronson. Yes. I've seen several YouTube videos saying that people who wake up between 3 a.m. Wait, 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 wait. Is that this thing? Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> Just, I hit the wrong button. You know what channel we should be on? No. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Question might come through the Jazz TV. Over there. Can you can you hear anybody, um, Cheryl Sun? Can anybody unmute and say something, Ron? Can we? Do can you hear me now? No. I thought I was hitting the volume button. Oh well, the volume was up anyway. Hmm. Wait a sec. Ah, hang on, hang on. Here we are, hang on. Uh, is it HDMI cable? Yeah, I believe so. There it is, they're back. But okay. I don't know why. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yay. <laughs> Please, uh, forge ahead. Um, I've seen several videos on YouTube about people waking up between three and 4 a.m. and it's supposed to indicate a higher spiritual um, Awareness. Oh, hallelujah. 
which may not be a comfort when you feel like you're in a void or an abyss. Sometimes that occasionally happens and I will actually meditate for a while. Very good. Good way to fill that void. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's been also a fair amount of discussion about um, how our, uh, our ancestors uh, would like, they'd, uh, they'd go to bed like at sunset. And then they they wake up around midnight and like uh, make love and, and eat something and then go back to sleep. And this was just standard for, for centuries. And it isn't any longer. And some people think, well, it ought to be. I don't know about the make love part, but the, you know, you wake up at midnight or something and you... Night watch. Huh? Night watch. Night watch? Just watch your nights. Oh, watch the night. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> You, know, you get up for a little while, have a cup of tea or something, or go downstairs and pat the cat and then go back to bed. So I, I, I inadvertently, I do that. I didn't intend to develop that pattern, but it seems to be. I wake up after anywhere from like an hour, hour and a half, two or three hours, and then uh, you know, contemplate the universe and then go back to sleep after a while. That seems to be okay. So if that's something that's asserting itself, maybe, you know, we shouldn't worry about that. Thank you. Brother, brother uh, Frank is uh, very, very dark. So maybe it's sunset is happening there in, in Italy. Oh. <laughs> oh, he's gonna turn on the light perhaps. Ah, there we are. Ciao, Gianfrancesco. Any other questions or comments? Today is uh, 24th. April. Oh, so next Saturday is May Day. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we may have a guest speaker. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe not. But if so, I don't know. just try to keep the ball rolling here. And, uh, one thing we haven't done, uh, partly because of the the awkwardness of the uh, public health circumstances. We haven't been doing our, our way-seeking mind thing, and uh, we could be. And I've, I mentioned this a number of times, but it's like no, no one has really like uh, come forward and said, I would like to do that, because some of you have done that. And um, uh, I think, um, I don't know if we recorded some of them, but, but some of them were very dramatic. And others were like, like Suzuki Roshi described, um, uh, uh, while he was still alive and over there at Zen Center, the then abbot of Eheji uh, died. And um, 
speaker, she said, you know, I, I knew this gentleman and he was, uh, you know, he was a fine Dharma practitioner. And it was interesting because his life was very uneventful. He said his life was like a perfectly round marble rolling across a perfectly smooth floor. Well, that's interesting. So, so the, that sort of uh, way of seeking mind talk is also fine. If your life is like a perfectly smooth marble, please, you can share that too. Okay, well, whatever. We'll see what happens next week. And in the meantime, please uh, take care of yourselves. Are there any announcements that need to be made? Charles Sons or anything? No? Okay. Not that I can think of. Okay. Well, please take care of yourselves and one another and any animals you happen to have contact with. Because it's it's been slow to dawn on um, a certain stripe of Christian who actually have absorbed the story that animals, you know, basically all, all creatures who aren't human are there for our amusement and exploitation. And that is total nonsense. The creatures of this earth and the earth itself are in our care. So, yes? Yes, and in 2015, the encyclical, the Dado yes. um Pope Francis said exactly that. He's, yes. The current Pope, who seems to have a lot on the ball, wrote this quite lovely encyclical, Laudato Si, Laudato Si, means he is praised. can't remember what exactly that refers to. Anyway, it's quite, it's a long read, but it's quite inspiring. So you can find that online if you want. Okay, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And we'll see you again real soon.